0: Before uh, Judy comes to speak to us this morning, we're going to uh, read from God's Word. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, the first reading is from Luke six, and so Luke five, starting at twenty-seven, and it's on the screens, and it says this. After this. And uh, this, if you're wondering, uh, is just uh, the story where Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. Brilliant Sunday school story where he comes through the roof. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were waiting with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the second reading is Luke 18, starting at verse 9. It says this, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said god have mercy on me a sinner i tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before god for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted lord god i want to pray jesus that by your spirit you speak to us Uh, through our minds and through our hearts this morning. And Lord, we pray for Judy. We pray Jesus that you just really bless her as she's giving out this morning. Amen. Good
1: morning, everyone. We're looking in our series, um, and uh, it's been a good series, I think, I hope. I've enjoyed it, certainly, uh, on some of the questions that we might ask, whether we're inside the church, whether we're outside of the church, whether we're looking in on the church, uh, and looking in on the Christian faith. And uh, we've looked at apologetics, we've looked at really examining the faith that we hold. Uh, And today, we're going to look at a really tricky one, uh, which I have been gifted uh, to speak on, which is why does the church cause so much pain. And uh, I think we can all say, whether we're in church, whether we're visiting church, whether we're looking in on it, uh, church is a source of pain for people. Uh, Many of us here will have been hurt by church, by people in church, by leaders of churches, uh, by churches in our past, and churches here uh, at Riverside and beyond. Uh, The church is a painful place sometimes. I was thinking, even just as we were singing, you're a good, good father, I was with some uh, Christians down in Surrey a few weeks ago, and the women came up to me and said, there are at least five of us here who cannot sing that song we just feel we can't because of the words of it, because their experience of fathering is, is so painful. So even coming into the church and hearing some of the language we use uh, is painful for people. Uh, I heard a story uh, growing up, actually, which I always held on to when I found church very difficult, which I certainly did as a child and as a teenager. Um, There was a story, and I'm pretty sure it's a made-up story, but uh, who knows. Uh, It's the story of a guy, a homeless guy, who uh, saw this lovely church in his city, and who saw the streams of people during the week who would go into that church, and they seemed happy, and they seemed like life was good. And uh, he would watch them from his place outside on the street. street corner and think, I would love one day to be able to be part of that church. But they all look a bit too gleaming and squeaky and happy. Uh, I don't think I can go in because I smell and I've had a bit to drink. But one day he was desperate and he thought, do you know what? I'm going to knock on that door of the church and I'm going to ask if I can come in. And uh, he asked the person at the door, could he come in? And they said, do you know what? You smell a little bit too much and you're a little bit worse for wear. You're a little bit drunk. I'm afraid you can't come in. And this happened repeatedly, that he was not allowed into this church, this place that he longed to be a part of, this community. And he falls on his knees and he says, God, if you're there, why won't those people let me into that lovely church? And the answer that God gives is, I've been waiting to get in there for years. Um, and it's, it's kind of, we laugh and, and cry at the same time, don't we, almost? Because there's a resonance where we know that church is an imperfect place. And why do we know that? Because we're in it. <laughs> so we know that actually it will always be an imperfect place. And uh, there are many things. Uh, I looked online recently about uh, finding a perfect church, the things that people look for. Coffee, by the way, is very, very high up on priorities. I think we're doing all right with that. You can dispute that. I don't know. Uh, but people look for good, real coffee. Uh, they look for giveaways. What do you give away at the end of a service? I don't think we give away for Much, but we do a nice muffin, a little bit of fruit. Um, um, They look for the worship style that they particularly want. They look for a preacher who doesn't sound preachy, apparently. I don't know how that sounds. I try not to sound preachy. Um, But those are the kind of things that people want, you know, to, to look for the perfect church. But the problem is, we will never find it because as we enter into it, it becomes imperfect. And actually, it never was perfect. Uh, So the church does cause pain, and um, (coughs) I don't say this lightly, But in preparing for this talk, and this was the talk I thought we were going to do on the snow day, so I've kind of prepared for it twice in my heart, but I I would like to just begin by apologising for the fact that we will have hurt you sometimes. I think that's really important to say that this is not a theoretical talk. This is a a heartfelt talk because we will have got it wrong as leaders, as one another, and we will continue to get it wrong. And really, it's just to say thanks for being on the journey with us, uh, inspired of that, for the times when we, when we do get it wrong. Uh, recently, someone said that they didn't like Riverside because we were too missional, and uh, that was hard to hear. But I went away and looked at what does mission, what's the definition of mission? And my favourite definition for what it's worth is, mission is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's kind of <laughs> the heart of the Gospel. That's what we are here today. We're, we're beggars who found a bit of bread that is feeding our soul, that, that we, we know is changing us. And so why would we not want to share that with the hungry world, uh, which is increasingly hungry? Uh, Gandhi uh, said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That is a hard thing to read, isn't it? But there's part of me that really faith rises in me that says, I want to be, I want to be. Because as we read that, we can either feel condemned by it or we can find a faith that rises in us and says, if you like our Christ, We want to be those little Christs that Christianity is about. To be a Christian, to be a little Christ. An imperfect one, yes, an unfinished one. Uh, I've been in Holy Island uh, just the last few days uh, in Northumbria, and uh, one of the sculptures there is called The Unfinished Pilgrim. And and I, I think that describes us pretty well, doesn't it? That we are unfinished pilgrims, but we are journeying towards a likeness to Christ. And Jesus um, knew from the scriptures, he knew from the Old Testament that God was critical of church, if you like. He was critical of worship gatherings like this one. You may not like this one. This is not a reflection on our music. But he says this, Amos says this in the Old Testament. The Lord says, I hate your religious festivals. I cannot stand them. I'm sure he doesn't mean spring harvest and new wine and things like that. Um, He says, stop your noisy songs. I do not want to listen to your harps. Well, I think we're all right there. We've cut the harps. Um, But instead, let justice flow like a stream and righteousness like a river that never goes dry. In other words, what offends God about the church may not be our music so much as our hearts, may not be the trimmings and the coffee and whether we get this right or not, but do we collude with injustice? As Christians, are we colluding with the injustice here in our city or are we fighting for justice? And many people here just looking out, I know that we are fighting for justice, fighting to excel in love, asking God to keep on giving us more and more love. But this is a warning that actually we can get caught up in trivia But the church has a role and we have a role as a river to flow out of here to corrode and erode into the patterns of this way in Birmingham and beyond and make a difference. And there have been some beautiful things in this church community recently that have made me think, yes, God, that's it. You know, the approach to our stay and play guys who are based at Riverside House to, to Sarah Thompson and her team, to Sarah Hyde, to that team to say to them, uh, Anna Wing, who works with, uh, with women who are, are vulnerable, right in Mosley. can you walk with us? Can you help us? Can you, if you like, start to put about this injustice and bring about your justice and your compassion? The work that Mel's been able to do with women of worth over in um, St John's. Incredible stuff where the approaches are coming, and so people are saying, we want this river of justice to flow. Uh, I found this in a church, I don't know if you can see it very well, it's in a church right on the coast by the sea, uh, in Burnham-on-Sea in the uh, West Country, and this is called the leper's squint, you may have to squint to see it, Um, but what it was, was a little hole, it's blocked up now, where lepers were allowed to peep in and see what went on in churches. That's as far as they got, the leper's squint. And that seems horrendous to us and we just think, well, that would never happen on our watch. But as I saw that, I was working with a minister there who cried at the pain of the way he'd been treated. He just sat and cried and cried. Made me very grateful for this community, I have to say the way that he had been treated. And he said, that leper's squint is how I feel sometimes. I feel like I'm just looking in to what church could be, but I'm outside of it. And Jesus knew that every single one of us at some point in our life might feel a little bit like that. And he said, I've come for the outcast. I've come for the person who's by the leper's squint trying to come in, to look in. I've come for you if you feel excluded. I've come for you if you feel like you're a minority. And in the reading that Andy read to us in Luke 5, Jesus is criticized, and by the way, it's probably worth saying, church can be a very critical place. And if we feel, oh, I'm not gonna put myself out there again, I just get criticized, uh, then we're in good company. Because that's what Jesus felt. You know, he was surrounded by critics in all of his ministry. But he spoke up, and this is what he said when he was criticized. Jesus answered, People who are well do not need a doctor, but only those who are sick. I have not come to call respectable people to repent, but outcasts. So that's us. <laughs> We're not the respectable people. You might think we are, but we're not. We're inner outcasts that actually our own sin would keep us out, but we have this amazing thing called grace. Um, I don't know about you, but I have some really pretty amazing non-Christian friends, and they shame me by their kindness, by their generosity, whether they're other faiths, whether they're of no faith, and I think, how does this work, God? because I want to be a little Christ, and yet I look at my mates and my friends and my family that don't believe, and I think you're beautiful in your kindness. How does that work? And I've, in preparation for this talk, was reading about something that I'd not read a lot about before called common grace, which we we hear about in the book of James. And in the book of James, we hear that every good gift comes from the living God. And that actually this thing of common grace that is taught about is that actually when we see a godly good act, an act of kindness and justice and righteousness, God is the source of it. That's what James is saying, that actually we can give him praise when our friend who's an atheist, and I, I was with one for a drink this week who was uh, telling me what she didn't like about my book um, and why I was very idealistic um, and always had been since we were at school. Um, and uh, th- there is a sense where actually in in our faith, in our, in our putting it out there, we will get this critique, we will get this criticism uh, that comes. Um, But actually, God has distributed his goodness throughout the earth, throughout other faiths, throughout people who do or do not believe. And we can worship God when we see the beauty of somebody that we work alongside who is a Muslim, who uh, is an atheist, who is an agnostic, who is searching, that may be you today. Whether you believe in him or not, God works through you through your goodness, through your kindness, through the fact that you have love in your heart. So common grace, common grace, is a really important biblical theological thing that I think we forget. Many people will say to me as an argument about Christianity, no, because actually most of the people that I really like are not Christians and they're better than a lot of Christians. And that's true. Why is it true? Because Christians are sinners who know they are sinners who have come here because we need that grace and others may not have come to the point yet where they know how much they need that grace because they're doing some really amazingly good things. But there will come a time which my lovely friend, who had slated me most of the evening in a very funny and lovely way, said, by the way, Judy, I'm out of work at the moment. She works in TV and, and film stuff. She said, I'm out of the work at the moment. She said, you'll laugh at this. Guess what I do when I'm down? I said, I don't know. She said, I read bits of your book. <laughs> <laughs> to make herself feel better. Um, but she said, because you've highlighted those bits that are from the Bible, and I think they're great. And that was after really giving me some effort. (laughs) But isn't that interesting? Because that that scripture, that's not me. That's just the scripture I've put in there and that's the power of the the word of God. Uh, Tim Keller says this, because people think of Christianity as a self-improvement program, they emulate the Jesus of the whips in the temple, but not the Jesus who said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. This is one of my favourite things about scripture. Whenever I get judgy, and we all do, don't we? We all get a bit judgy every now and then. This is something that I really do cling on to. You know, am I going to throw the first stone? No. Because I know that I'm a a broken sinner, the same as we all are. And I think that was genius when that was used in scripture. Because everyone wanted to stone the woman, Uh, everyone felt that they were better than her. And yet, when Jesus actually put that challenge out there, you know, who of us is going to actually throw the first stone? The second uh, passage that we looked at that Andy read for us uh, was one that probably maybe growing up we, we know or maybe we, we know it apocryphally anyway, but the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus tells the story of these two men who go up the mountain, they don't make it into the temple courts, they wouldn't have made it, it wouldn't have been allowed in there, uh, but they make it up the hill and they make it to pray and on one side is the tax collector and on one side is the Pharisee. And I want you for a moment to think of yourself as both of these characters because sometimes we perhaps identify more with one than the other but I think it's important that Jesus told this story maybe so that we identify with both the tax collector stands there and he is full of shame he's stooped down I picture him and he is basically saying have mercy on me a sinner That's his prayer. The Pharisee on the other side is is judgy. (laughs) He's saying, well, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person. Thank you, no, thank goodness that I'm not like that. And most of us, I think, would probably think, oh, I'm more like the tax collector. You know, I'm there with my head bowed knowing I'm not good enough. But there are times in our lives when we jump from tax collector who says, I know I'm not worthy, saved by grace, to judgy thinking, do you know what, I know I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that, <coughs> don't we? You know, we, we actually then become judgmental. And one of the reasons we do that is because of our passions. And I've said this before, but I think it bears re- repetition. It's not my original thought. It's uh, Jeff Lucas who talks about it, I think. But we punish each other with our passions. If my passion is social justice and night shelter and you don't seem remotely interested in it, I might think, well, they're not very Christian, are they? That's a bit odd that they refuse that and said, oh, it's not really my thing. How could it not be your thing? But then they're going on a prayer walk and they say, Judy, would you like to come on a prayer walk? And I say, oh, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think I want to do that. I'm doing night shelter on Tuesday. And they think, well, she's a bit odd but she doesn't want to come and pray. And so we make a judgment don't we, by our passion. And none of us are wrong because all of those passions, and there are many others, are beautiful, brilliant things. And I feel God says to us, do you know what, just get on and do your bit. (laughs) That's why we're church. That's why there's all of us here, and all of us in Bourneville, and all of us at Second Service, and all of us in community groups. It'd be very boring if we were all passionate about the same things. And I think it's genius that God has just said, you really get stuck into that. You really get stuck into that. And that's how this common grace and this sheer grace will be distributed. So as we respond, let's respond not just as the tax collector who knows that we are sinners saved by grace, but also knowing that we have the Pharisee in us who looks to the left and looks to the right and gets a little bit judgy about church and about one another I don't think, and I may be blissfully wrong on this, (laughs) you can come and tell me afterwards, I don't think Riverside is a particularly critical place. I think there is a lot of love and grace extended. We've seen it in children's church recently, which has been incredibly tough for people with having no one. And even this morning, someone coming up to me saying, do you know what, we'll double up. I I think it's beautiful and extraordinary. We have appointed someone now, you'll be relieved to hear. They just haven't signed the contract yet. But... um, uh, we're in, you know, its sometimes we're in difficult times as church, but the call on us is to excel in doing good, to excel in loving one another, but also to, to voice our criticism well uh, and not to get involved perhaps in, in doing that uh, in a toxic way. Um Bonhoeffer, who really struggled with the church and uh, who did many amazing things <coughs> to challenge the church and the theology of his day, and he talked about you know the church not colluding with what was wrong but standing up for what was good in Nazi Germany. He played a huge part in doing that, in actually standing out for what was good. And he said, "Pain is a holy angel. Through him, men have become greater than through all the joys of the world. The pain." of longing which often can be felt physically must be there and we shall not and need not talk it away. But it needs to be overcome every time and thus there is an even holier angel and that is the one of joy in God. When we experience pain on the Christian journey and there are many many people here who are in pain right now. Pain is a teacher, a holy angel, as Bonhoeffer describes it. But he also says it's not a solitary angel in that actually in your pain, in your journey of pain, will come the gift of joy, the only one joy in God. As we come to respond, and uh, I'm going to give us time to do that because I realise there will be pain uh, here today and we need to pray for one another I want us to think about uh, the sheer grace um, that we experience in Jesus, but also that common grace that is shared in our community. How can we as community groups, how can we as life groups or missional teams or triplets, whatever you're part of, be those who distribute this grace so that the world can see what Gandhi wanted to see, that actually we do look more like our Christ. That actually every single day we are transformed by being with him, by looking at his face, by reading his word to be a little bit more like Jesus. Remember, I used to drive down a road when I was teaching that said, why would I go to church? There was a big banner up that said, why would I go to church? I feel bad enough about myself already. And we, we, we have a calling if we're church here today to to make that not the case, that this is where we come. I remember years ago, Tim had a a picture when he was appointed here at Riverside of being like a medical hospital where we could come in when we were wounded, when we were battle-weary, where we could have our wounds mended so that we do go out again and tell the world and help be part of the healing uh, that is the world. Um, Let's just sit quietly for a moment and then uh, I I would like to just uh, read... Uh, something I think James Lynch posted uh, a few days ago. But let's just be quiet for a moment and think about how it is that we can distribute this grace, this mercy that we've received uh, into his world. I'm going to ask the band to come up, um, Helen. I just want to read this um, as they do, uh, which you may have heard before, I'd heard it before, but I thought it was good to remind ourselves of it. It's called I Am a Christian. When I say that I am a Christian, I'm not shouting that I'm clean living. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I've failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartache, so I call upon his name. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not holier than now. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. (coughs) You know, that's the gospel, that's church, um, and that's us, and that's why Jesus said, you know, you're not here because you're well. You're here because we need a doctor, and we have one. We have uh, a soul healer in the love of Christ.